Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. Well, thankfully, our last guest's prediction that the show will go until July 22nd was wrong. Don't think I was going to make it another two weeks. No way. We are recording this on Friday, July 10th, after the court handed down its final opinions yesterday. And we've got a lot of news to talk about. We do. We got opinions over three days this week, dealing with seven issues. That includes a bunch of highly anticipated decisions, including the ones on the Trump subpoenas, the Electoral College, religion, and Indian treaty rights. And we also got some retirement news, but not what you're expecting. And a health scare from the court, but also not what you're expecting. All right, you've you've piqued my interest. What's with these retirements first? So, of course, this is the time of year when retirement rumors swirl. There's been speculation that ahead of the 2020 election, perhaps some of the Republican appointees like Justice Thomas or Alito might want to step down to make sure that President Trump has enough time to appoint their successors. Well, well, we got an announcement this week from the court that six employees are retiring. Oh, boy. Uh, No justices. Although, now that we've said that on this podcast, that seems likely that we'll have an announcement this afternoon. Recording this at 10.38 (laughs) a.m. But we did get some notable retirements from the court, even though it's not one of the justices. The court's marshal, Pam Tonkin, perhaps most well-known for crying in the cases before argument, is retiring, as well as reporter of decisions Christine Luchuk-Fallon. Both were the first women to hold their positions. Well, congratulations to them. And what about this health scare news? Well, also heading into the, the election, everyone is looking at the members of the court who have been on it the longest, like Justices Thomas, Ginsburg, and Breyer, and wondering how much longer they're going to serve. But we learned this week that a relatively younger member of the court, Chief Justice Roberts, fell on Father's Day and apparently wound up with his head covered in blood and an overnight stay in the hospital. Wow. So a lot to say about that, but Father's Day was a couple weeks ago. So why are we just finding out about this now? Well, that's exactly the issue. So the Washington Post got a tip about the incident, and then the court confirmed that it happened, sort of, though not in a lot of detail. The court said it didn't announce it at the time because the chief was really fine, and, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Nothing to see here. The court said that the doctors said the chief was probably just dehydrated, and that it didn't have anything to do with his prior seizures. Glad he's feeling better, though. It seems the court could have avoided it being a bigger issue in the first place by just getting out in front of it when it happened. Anyway, let's get into the opinions, because we got a bunch of them. Okay, so on Monday, we got decisions in the two electoral college cases. The court held that states can enforce an elector's pledge to support the state's popular vote winner for president. In an opinion by Justice Kagan, she said that Article 2 of the Constitution, along with the 12th Amendment, gives states broad power over electors and gives electors themselves no rights. She ended by saying that that ruling supports the idea that, quote, we the people rule. That takes some drama out of the upcoming election, not that it needed any more. We also got another opinion on Monday in a case that might be remembered for something that had nothing to do with the substance of the case. Oh, no. I feel like this discussion is going to start growing down the drain quite quickly. Oh, boy. Wow. (laughs) He took it to the next level. I like that. The subject matter of the call ranges to the topics. The subject matter of the call ranges to the topics. So, as you've alluded to, um, it's the famous flush case, Barr against 
American Association of Political Consultants. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Or maybe another sound. (laughs) So uh, this is one that involved robocalls and the First Amendment. The political consultants challenged an anti-robocall law on First Amendment grounds uh, because it carved out an exception for calls collecting government debt, which they said was unfair. So did the court go along? Well, so it's a little, it's kind of funny what happened. So the political group succeeded in convincing the court that the government debt exception is an unconstitutional content-based restriction. But the court said that the robocall ban survives with the debt exception struck down. So neither the government debt collectors nor the political groups can make robocalls under the ruling. So both sides lose and the rest of us win because we're not going to get robocalls. So this one had a complicated breakdown with Justice Kavanaugh writing the plurality opinion. But something to note here that we talked about before in connection with the CFPB case is the issue of severability and how it could impact next term's Obamacare case. So as you mentioned, the court in its robocall case said that the rest of the law survives, meaning that the government debt exception is severed from the rest of the statute. So the fact that a majority of the court took that approach could be yet another bad sign for the Obamacare challengers, arguing that the whole Affordable Care Act needs to be struck if even part of it isn't lawful. Then on Wednesday, we had two cases dealing with religion, one involving the ministerial exception, which protects religious employers from discrimination suits, And still speaking of Obamacare, the dispute over the religious exception for the ACA's contraception mandate. Both of these were wins for the religious employers, and both were 7-2 rulings, with the Republican appointees and Justices Breyer and Kagan in the majority. So in the contraceptive mandate case, Little Sisters of the Poor, Justice Thomas wrote that the government agencies had the authority to provide exemptions from the contraceptive requirements for employers with religious and conscientious objections. And in the ministerial exception case, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Justice Alito wrote that under the First Amendment's religion clauses, courts can't intervene in employment disputes involving teachers at religious schools who are entrusted with the responsibility of instructing their students in the faith. So both of these cases have pretty broad consequences, as the dissenters pointed out, Justices Ginsburg and Sotomayor. Uh, Justice Ginsburg noted in the contraception case that according to government estimates, it could be well over 100,000 women who will lose coverage. And writing for the pair in the school case, Justice Sotomayor said that what she called the court's simplistic approach has no basis in the law and strips thousands of school teachers of their legal protections. On to the last day of the term, Thursday, which was yesterday, we finally got decisions in the Trump subpoena and McGirt versus Oklahoma cases. That last one is the issue over tribal lands that's been pending at the court since last term. Jordan, want to tell us about that case first? This is a hugely consequential Indian law case. Uh, The court said that for purposes of federal criminal law, the Creek Nation's reservation is still intact. So state prisoner Jim C. McGirt, who we've talked about before, had argued that the state didn't have jurisdiction to prosecute him because he's an Indian and his crime took place on Indian land. And If that's true, that would mean that jurisdiction falls to the federal government under a law called the Major Crimes Act. But that in turn raised the question of whether the land was in fact Indian land. And so in a five to four opinion by Justice Gorsuch, joined by the four Democratic appointees, the court said, for these purposes, yes, it is. So we've talked about this case a bunch on this podcast, and this is the one where the state warned of disastrous consequences if it were to lose, as it did, with a bunch of state convictions getting reversed 
and other negative consequences as well. So how did those consequences factor in here? They didn't really. Gorsuch's opinion in the first instance pushed back against the claims of the state and the dissent, uh, plus pointed out that there would be negative consequences going the other way too had McGirt lost. But in the end, Gorsuch said the question really was just whether Congress had disestablished or undone the Creeks Reservation that was promised to them in the 1800s under treaties. And because he said Congress never clearly did so as is required, it's really a simple answer in his view, regardless of the consequences. So the state argued that the ruling uh, would transform half of the state into a reservation if they ruled for McGirt. Is that what the ruling did? No. So first, the ruling only applied to the Creek Reservation, which is definitely a big deal in itself. Uh, The area includes part of a big city in Oklahoma, Tulsa, uh, but it's not like the land being technically a reservation physically changes the area in a way that maybe someone would think who doesn't live in or near reservation land these days. And as to the rest of the tribes in the eastern half of the state, whose treaties could be treated the same way in light of the ruling, there was an interesting statement that came out after the decision where the states and the tribes said they're working together to sort out any significant jurisdictional issues that arise as a result of the ruling. Well, that leaves the two Trump subpoena cases quite a big bang to end the term, but that's not unusual. In Trump versus Vance, the New York subpoena case, the court held that the Constitution allows a state criminal subpoena to a sitting president And it said it doesn't require a heightened showing of need. And in the congressional cases, the court held that courts below didn't take adequate account of the significant separation of powers concerns implicated by congressional subpoenas to the president for personal information. So these were both 7-2 rulings with Chief Justice Roberts writing the opinions and Justices Alito and Thomas dissenting. So Kimberly, on the face of it, it's a loss for President Trump in the Vance case, saying essentially that presidents aren't above the law, and more of a win for the president in the Mazars case, blocking the congressional subpoenas, at least for now. And so obviously these are huge cases for the presidency going forward, but some of the nuances raise questions about what happens next and how they'll actually affect President Trump right now. And it seemed like after the rulings, some people had different ways of describing kind of what the effects of what the rulings are and what they'll actually mean. So what do we think about that? So in the Vance case, the court sent the case back to uh, the lower courts because the case had only been argued on grounds of absolute immunity or heightened need for subpoenas, uh, which the court rejected. But it said that the president could still raise further arguments back in the appeals court. Even if he keeps losing on remand, though, and the president's financial information goes to the Manhattan DA, that information um, is subject to grand jury secrecy rules. So that might only come out if someone winds up getting charged with a crime at some point as a result of the investigation. So clearly not a guarantee that the financial information comes out before the election. So... What about the congressional cases? So those also got sent back to uh, the lower courts and faced an even tougher road for the president's opponents. Roberts said in his opinion that the burdens imposed by the congressional subpoenas should be carefully scrutinized for they, quote, stem from a rival political branch that has an ongoing relationship with the president and incentives to use subpoenas for institutional advantage. 
Right. So again, at the very least, the Supreme Court's decision serves to delay the president's accountants from having to comply with subpoenas. And these are ones that made it more likely that the public would be able to see the results of them as opposed to the DA case because grand jury secrecy rules wouldn't stand in the way. So in the short term, it could be a similar result as far as the run up to the 2020 election goes in the sense of keeping the president's information from the public for at least a while longer. But Jordan, one question I had, and I'm wondering what you think, I'm wondering if the fact that these cases, particularly the congressional ones, the fact that they're framed as whether or not the public will get to see the president's taxes before the 2020 election swayed any of the justices into thinking that these requests might actually be protectual, as the president argued, rather than for a legitimate legislative purpose. Um, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, definitely at least part of the court was worried about that he was, uh, you know, being harassed the whole uh, presidential harassment thing, as uh, the president has put it, kind of getting channeled into a, a legal claim. But what do you think? No, I mean, I wonder if, you know, framing it as in those political terms had some kind of maybe some some effect on how these claims by the by Congress reviewed, but I don't know. We'll never know. Yeah, it is fitting, just given that we've been talking about Chief Justice Roberts a lot over the last few weeks, how he wrote those last two big opinions. And Kimberly, you had a story this week titled, Yes, Roberts is in the middle. No, he's not a liberal. So what's the latest with the chief after this big term for him? So remember way back when he and Gorsuch voted in favor of LGBTQ employees, and then the chief justice cast the tie-breaking vote for abortion rights? Barely. That was like weeks ago. <laughs> and then he was back voting with the Republican appointees on separation of powers and religion, and he wrote the dissent in the McGirt case we were talking about earlier. Interestingly, that was the only time the chief justice wasn't in the majority in a five to four case this term. Okay, so the chief, he's getting uh, canceled and uncanceled. Uh, what does all <laughs> this mean? It means that while Roberts may be the swing justice, it doesn't mean that he's a liberal or moderate one. The court has shifted to the right quite a bit, so he's in the middle. But a professor that I spoke to put it this way, Roberts is one of the most conservative justices in the history of the Supreme Court, and it empirically that seems to bear out that you know since the 1930s, he's in the top third of the dozens or so justices who have served. Well, um, wherever he does fall, I'm sure he's happy to take a little bit of a break from the term, even though the justices aren't uh, jetting off to any uh, fancy uh, foreign vacations that we know of like they usually are, right? And wherever he does fall, I'm sure he won't tell us about it for weeks. Exactly. So uh, we hope everyone's uh, safe out there, the justices and everybody, whatever they they wind up doing and, you know, keep us posted. So the Chief Justice closed out the term uh, as he normally does, but instead of doing it from the bench, he did it via a press release thanking all the court employees for their hard work over the term. And thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow along with the latest Supreme Court news over the summer at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater... That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.